On this 24th week of ordinary time, the Church celebrates the memorial of Our Lady of Sorrows. The first reading is taken from Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 to 9. The responsorial is Psalm 31, and the Gospel is John chapter 19, verses 25 to 27, with an alternate Gospel of Luke chapter 2, verses 33 to 35. Today's memorial was formerly known as the Seven Sorrows of Mary. They are Simeon's prophecy at the presentation of Jesus in the temple, the flight of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus into Egypt, the loss of the child Jesus in the temple of Jerusalem, Mary's meeting Jesus on the road to Calvary, the crucifixion of Jesus, taking Jesus down from the cross, and the entombment. Why seven sorrows and not six or eight? Mary's suffering cannot be quantified or compared with our afflictions. Because she was without sin, having been filled with sanctifying grace from conception, her soul would be heightened in sensitivity to injustice, such that the Church Fathers hold that she is the Queen of Martyrs. Since the number seven represents completion or fullness, it thus best expresses Mary's sorrow. This memorial of Our Lady of Sorrows is placed one day following the exaltation of the cross because, as our Gospel from John chapter 19 states, Mary stood near the cross of her Son to witness His passion and death. The physical proximity of Mary and her Son at His death mirrors the spiritual unity of Mary as the new Eve and Jesus as the new Adam. Together they share the Father's mission of redeeming the world from sin. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God told the serpent that he would place enmity between the serpent and the woman, between his seed and her seed, and that her seed would crush his head. At the wedding feast at Cana, Mary, the new Eve, prompts Jesus to begin his ministry, and Jesus refers to her as woman. This designation is repeated at the cross, as Jesus says, Woman, behold your son, and to the beloved disciple, behold your mother. As the Vatican II document Lumen Gentium, paragraph 56 states, quote, The Father of mercies willed that the Incarnation should be preceded by the acceptance of her who was predestined to be mother of his son, so that just as a woman contributed to death, so also a woman should contribute to life. Embracing God's salvific will with a full heart and impeded by no sin, she devoted herself totally as a handmaid of the Lord to the person and work of her Son, under Him and with Him, by the grace of Almighty God, serving the mystery of redemption. Rightly, therefore, the Holy Fathers see her as used by God, not merely in a passive way, but as freely cooperating in the work of human salvation through faith and obedience. For, as St. Irenaeus says, she, being obedient, became the cause of salvation for herself and for the whole human race. Paragraph 58 continues, quote, The Blessed Virgin advanced in her pilgrimage of faith and faithfully persevered in her union with her Son unto the cross, where she stood, in keeping with the divine plan, grieving exceedingly with her only begotten Son, uniting herself with a maternal heart with his sacrifice 
and lovingly consenting to the immolation of this victim which she herself had brought forth. End of quote. How does this memorial apply to us today? In the Gospel, Simeon at the presentation blesses Mary, Jesus, and Joseph and tells Mary that a sword will pierce her heart also. What does this mean? Biblical scholars have suggested that the word also indicates that a sword will not just pierce Mary, but others. Who are the others? Several scholars have suggested that this line is linked with the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, chapter 14, verses 17, where it states that a sword will divide the land of Israel between those who believe in God and those who do not. In a sense, this is what the Gospel reading is pointing to when Simeon says that this child Jesus will cause the rising and falling of many. Since Mary, as the mother of the church, represents all Christians, one of her sorrows will be at the division in Israel over her son. For us today, as in the time of Jesus, the word of God, as St. Paul states, is sharper than any double-edged sword, dividing soul and spirits, joints and marrow. When we truly live out the gospel in our lives, when we decide for Christ, it will mean suffering. There will be times when we must stand at the cross of Christ and speak on behalf of the oppressed and marginalized, even when we don't want to, or may be ridiculed for doing so. It will mean giving up our time, talent, and treasure for the sake of the gospel, when we would rather not. It will mean being truthful, when to deceive would be much easier and more convenient. And there will be many times when sickness, setbacks, and other personal sufferings will come our way. May we unite these sufferings with that of Mary and Christ for the redemption of the world and for the souls in purgatory. May we also be witness to others in so doing. For example, people not from our Catholic tradition may think it strange that we celebrate in a liturgy a memorial to Our Lady of Sorrows that we celebrate suffering. Yet we know as Catholics that suffering is not only part of our lives, but that we can use that suffering and join it with Mary's suffering and ultimately the Paschal mystery of the cross. That suffering is not meaningless. Thus in our first reading from Hebrews chapter 5, it states that although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and having been made perfect, became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. In the epistle of James chapter 1, it states, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 24, St. Paul states that he rejoices in what he suffered for Christ and fills up in his body what is lacking for the sake of Christ and his church. There is purpose to suffering, as we can offer it for those who are sick, those who are in need, and those who are away from God. We can also act as witnesses in the way we imitate Mary's love. In the upper room, just before Pentecost, Mary joined with those disciples who had previously abandoned her son during his passion. She was not hardened in resentment or bitterness over their failures, but prayed with them 
and for them, for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now in heaven she continues to intercede for all of us whose sin also contributed to her son's suffering. May we, like Mary, forgive those who offend us and be active in restoring peace and reconciliation. How important is this attitude in our day of much division, conflict, and violence. We, as children of Mary, have the opportunity to say, It stops with me. I will take offenses, faults, and criticisms and respond with love. I will break the cycle of retaliation. I will not participate with others in gossip, but make the effort to build up my neighbor and even my enemy, living out the beatitude, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. As St. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let us pray. O God, who willed that, when your Son was lifted high on the cross, his mother should stand close by and share his suffering, grant that your Church, participating with the Virgin Mary in the Passion of Christ, may merit a share in his resurrection, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, for ever and ever. Amen.